students with us this morning, joining us today. Good to have our Linden campus, Grand and Pontotoc, Mississippi. Everybody say howdy. howdy. That, was for, that was for Linden. They say howdy in Linden. And uh, so let's, let's get to this this morning. I, I, it's such a joyous mood, and I don't mean to bring it down, but how many of you guys realize as we look towards the next nine months of teachers and parents and students and AI and weather disasters, and hey, it's going to be okay because it's an election season, and there's going to be everybody's investigating everybody, and everybody's divided against everybody, and everybody's bringing this into this, this mosh pit of schools and teachers and parents and school boards, and now with congressional hearings, we've got to worry about this guy. <laughs> like, how many of you guys realize that, it's, that at some point, we have to admit that the next nine months is going to have some challenges in it? Come on. And it's okay, because every place we're going to be, God already knows that we're going to be there. Everything we're going to need in that classroom, everything we're going to need at home, everything we're going to need in the school board, everything we're going to need in case the close encounter and the found home happens all at the same time, we're going to be all right because we have a God who's bigger, he's already there, and he knows the answers to our questions, right? So we need wisdom. I, I, I like knowledge. I think it's very important that we, we have knowledge. I like enthusiasm. I think it's very important that we're enthusiastic. But how many of you guys know that sometimes it's just, it's not the smartest person in the room, it's just that wise person that knows how to fix the problem. That moment where it, it seems like it would have taken 10 years to learn it, but it came out of a five-year-old. And you go, that's really wise. I think, I think if we're looking towards the next nine months, how are we going to navigate this? Here's my thought. I think we should navigate it with wisdom. And so when I want wisdom, I go back to this guy that he was around. I got the dates here from 970 BC to 931 BC. We see this reigning king over Israel. And I know he looks like the front man for ZZ Top, but... <laughs> He's a, how many of you guys even know who ZZ Top is? Students, you know who ZZ Top is? Yeah, I, look it up on YouTube, it's awful. But they had long beards. But his name's Solomon. And I don't know how Solomon knows what he knows. I know he prayed that God would give him what he needed to rule the nation well. I know that he, uh, God said he's gonna give him wisdom like no other man had ever had, a discerning heart and so forth. I don't know what the wisdom, I don't know if it just, like it comes to him and he writes it down. But in my mind, in the King Jim version of the Bible, my first name's Jim, not King James, but Jim. Uh, I, I see it this way. I, he's an observer. We know that because he says, you know, pay attention to the lizards. Pay attention to the ants. Pay attention to seeds, the sound of, of, of rain dripping. I mean, all these, all these truths come out so often in what was easily observed, but no one had the language to put it together. And I think as he observes those things, he realizes these are kind of categories. Like there's, there's some knowledge here. That, that that is like not just that, but that kind of applies to all of this. And I think he'd observe all of that. And I don't know this, but again, this is just the way I use my imagination. I think he took you know, singular observations, tested his hypothesis in an empirical scientific sort of way and said, does that apply to this and this to that? And he wrote those things down. So in the end, I think he'd have scroll after scroll after scroll filled with information observing a truth. But how many of you guys know, teachers and students and parents, if it's on several scrolls, the odds of me getting it are slim. I need, I need books that have like pictures in them, connect the dots and scratch the sniff sections kind of scattered throughout. So knowing that there'd be people like me that would not be great students or even willing students, Solomon took the scrolls and maybe made it in condensed language to one scroll. 
So you can see there's a whole scroll on, on this piece of wisdom. But even knowing that there'd be those of us, you know, long before, I, and by God, you just know this, I don't suffer from ADHD, but often the people around me do suffer from my ADHD. I, I kind of enjoy it, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a trial for others around me. I get that. But he knew there'd be people like me. God knew there'd be people like me. So I think instead of one scroll, he kind of made it like, like even less than that. Maybe a few paragraphs, but even then, knowing that there'd be people like me, he decided to make it one statement. By the, by the time Solomon says something, hear me, it is some of the densest language on wisdom recorded in human history. And one of my favorites that he, that he uses is this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. He's describing what I would consider unpleasant to both pieces of iron, uh, a scraping, a, a, a friction a tension between the two of them. There's, there's force and there's movement and stuff that was them is no longer them because of the contact. And he's talking about when this piece of metal and this piece of metal come together and they scrape against each other, yes, they'll both be damaged, but somehow in the friction, they'll both become better. There's, there's an interaction that makes both the giver and the receiver better. So I want to take a few moments this morning. I want to talk about what I consider, and this is my point of view, <laughs> You know, you know every joke I make about education and teachers and I and, and the encounters I've had. I wasn't a great student. I had some fabulous teachers, and if it hadn't been for them, I, I would have never made, I, I couldn't read what I'm reading right now. I couldn't speak to you. I, I wouldn't know enough about technology to hire someone else to do it. And I owe, I owe all of that to my teachers. But I, I think that my educational thing and their thoughts about me were probably more like iron sharpening iron. A certain strength and a certain strength coming together and both of us giving up something, but in the end, they had the reward of teaching an almost uneducatable child. When my teachers see me now, true story, junior high school vice principal at a wedding rehearsal. I, I'd led his son to Jesus, his, his uh, future daughter-in-law. They'd had a couple of kids. They'd been living together for a while. Jesus moved in. They decided to change some things. The, he, I, I remember this guy as a seven-foot-tall giant. He was the enforcer. His nickname at Highland Junior High School, a school known in the mean streets of Highland, Michigan. <laughs> now, now raised to the ground. You know, it's gone. But I, I remember him as this monster. And in walks the door, my junior high school vice principal, who I spent quality time with many times. <laughs> he enjoyed my company. Evidently, it was mandatory that I enjoyed his and we came together on a regular basis to share our hearts together. And, and as I recall, there were flowers and sunshine. And there was a paddle that had holes in it. Now, he never hit me with that paddle. But how many of you guys know you don't have to hit a kid with a paddle to make them think you're just going to get hit with a paddle? Right? So I was involved. I'll admit it. I was in the bra snapping scandal of 1978. I was, I was a part of that. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've done my time. My crimes are paid for, and I, I think you should just let me move on with my life. But he comes walking in the door, and he's only about this big. Now, when I was this big, he was this big. But he walked in the door, and I went, oh, my gosh, oh, my, oh my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, right? Now, I'm the pastor. It's two and a half decades later, and my reaction is like, it's just like you when you see a cop and your foot comes off the gas. You were doing the speed limit, but there's still that reaction like, oh, no. Put on the brake. I was going into the school zone. I was going 13, but put on the brake. Uh, he walked up to me, and he didn't recognize me because, you know, puberty. Uh, a couple other things had changed since the last time he saw me. And he said, he said uh, hey, Dad, I, I want to introduce you to Pastor Jim. I said, how you doing? It's good, it's good to meet you, as if we've never met before. <laughs> but I made the mistake of calling him sir. 
It's good to meet you, sir. But I'm in trouble to this day. Whoever, if it's a male, they're sir. To this day, if it's a female, it's ma'am. Anybody else raised by somebody who was a good parent? Okay. I said, it's good to meet you, sir. And when he heard the word sir, he stopped shaking his hand and looked at me. You ever, that look like, do you smell that too? That look? (laughs) He said, do I know you from somewhere? I said, yes, sir. And I took a step back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And literally, he says, we can't. (laughs) True story. I said, yes, sir. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I'm the pastor. If I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He said, no, seriously, what are you doing here? <laughs> True story. I said, I'm, I'm the, the pastor here. <laughs> he said, you're, you're pastor, Jim? The one my son's telling me led him to Jesus, and now they're getting married. And I said, I, yes, sir. <laughs> True story. I wish I could tell you the rest of it, but... We have students in the room, so we'll, 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 not, we'll not tell the rest of it. But I, I want to take a few minutes today to talk to you about that tension, that, that, that friction. Who I am, who he was. Who I am, who my teachers are. There's, how many guys know that if we're going to really get this, there's going to be friction. There's going to be tension. There's going to be scraping. But in the end, there's a satisfaction from being used as a teacher, and there's a satisfaction from learning as a student. So let me just take a few minutes. I want to talk, first of all, to the teachers. And I want to talk to you about your iron. Um, I'll prove this point in just a minute, but here's my thought. The iron you bring to your classroom is far more than what's in your head. If you ask anybody who was your favorite teacher, everybody has an answer to that question because we all have a favorite teacher. By a show of hands, for the educators in the room, does anybody here, if you could say, I, I know who it is, I have a favorite teacher, my favorite teacher was or is, can I see your hands right now? So that's, and if you didn't raise your hand, it's just either been so long or you're lying in church. Either way... You have, you have my, my humble apologies and condolences. Um, we do. Why? Because there was a teacher that came in our life, and then we asked questions like, what, what made them your favorite? And no one ever said, well, they're my favorite because they graduated from Harvard. <laughs> well, they're my favorite because their GPA was higher than all of my other teachers when they were getting their master's degree. That it, they were my favorite because when they began to use really big words that confused me, I just thought, wow, they're so smart. Why were they our favorite teacher? Number one, whole room. They were my favorite teacher because they what? Because they cared. Because they let me skip. Is that what somebody yelled over here? They let me, they ignored me, left me alone. They cared. Like when I asked people, and and again in the room, we just heard it, they loved us, they cared about us, they liked us, whatever that word was. But the number one thing we think of is not their knowledge, it's their heart. If you're a teacher here today, hear me. If you'd like to make a lasting impact on your students, it's wonderful that you're brilliant. It's wonderful that you're educated. It's wonderful that you have decades, sometimes decades and decades and decades of experience educating kids, but they won't remember you because you were smart. And they won't remember you because you knew what type of weaponry was used during the Battle of Gettysburg. They'll remember you because you dressed up like the South one day, the North the next day. You made them laugh. You made them think. You made them cry. You made them feel. And at the end of the day, they knew that they were more important than the information you were teaching them. You were there. You cared about them. Second thing, why were they your favorite teacher? They challenged me. Darn it, they, they taught me about the Civil War, and I could care less about the Civil War. 
I, why do I care it's a 50 caliber smoothbore musket versus a, a, a mini ball that the North had and Pickett's charges failed because of Napoleonic tactics and, and, a, and a split rail fence that stopped them. They were behind the wall like Fredericksburg. And I didn't want to know that. They tricked me into learning. <laughs> but Bob Bookta, my history teacher, tricked me into learning that stuff. And it's been a few years since I passed that last test with a hearty hallelujah C minus. But the stuff's in here. Why? Because he challenged me to learn it. He tricked me. He challenged me. They, when you ask why were they your favorite teacher, I hear this one a lot. They believed in me. Like when I was failing, they walked up to me and they said, come here for a second, I want to talk to you. You are better than this. And I expect you to do your best in my class. We may not have liked it in that moment, but we remember them because it wasn't like if we got a B, they got a raise. If we got a D, they got a cut and pay. Like they believed in us. I expect your best work. This is not your best work. I expect you to be on time. I expect, I expect, I expect. There's an interesting book, uh, Wilkerson, Bruce Wilkerson wrote it. Uh, Jason's not here. We were reading it together a few years ago. Uh, the subtitle is How to Teach Just About Anything to Anyone, The Seven Laws of the Learner. I, I, to me, it's the greatest book on, on classroom tactics and teaching I've ever read, The Seven Laws of the Learner. Bruce Wilkinson, maybe we should have made that a, a gift for our teachers today because it, it really blessed me. But he, he made a mistake one time, and maybe you've heard this because it's, it's been a study now they've made out of his mistake. He was told that in this freshman class, this is where all the really, really great kids go. And it's odd because you're a first-time teacher to get this class, but, but our brightest students at this institution are, are this, this freshman college class. And he said, but I, I guess they balanced it out because there's another one. This is kind of the sweat hogs. Anybody old enough to remember the sweat hogs? Vinny Barbarino? No? Okay. Well, there used to be a show back when TVs were this big and it wasn't color. And the remote control was your little brother. And was talking about a classroom of kids that were just not good students and they put them all together. They were called the Sweat Hogs. Welcome back, Cotter. And in the same way, he was told that was the second one. Well, here's what happened. The, the person who told him misunderstood the schedule. It was actually just the opposite. But he walked in expecting, caring, and challenging the sweat hogs. And guess what? They did better than they'd ever done before. He walked in expecting, being challenged by, anticipating resistance from what turned out to be the best students, and he had a terrible class. What he learned was the attitude of the educator has a lot to do with those who are being educated. Right? Your favorite teachers. They believed in you. They saw something in you. And lastly, and this is, this is a little bit hard to put in a language, but they, they trusted me. My... Um, I, Mrs. Waltz, Karen Waltz, Lakeland High School, 1983, graduating class, go Eagles. Um, now, if you're from Milford, I'm sorry. I, I, we didn't have to change our mascot because we weren't racist. But, but in Lakeland, we were, we were, oh, I'm sorry, does that hit your, that's still a rival there. But I haven't said anything about Ohio State yet. But it's, it's funny how that, that she, it was, I'm going to say, I, I was a, a dope smoker. Ah, oh, my mom's watching. I was a good kid. <laughs> I had my issues. And I, I wasn't suffering from any of it. I was enjoying most of it. But I had my issues. I go to, I go to a Christian rock concert because I think a girl's invited me to a concert. She's not. She's feeling sorry and it's missionary dating. I didn't realize there was such a term. But I went to this concert. I give my life to Jesus. I come back and I'm radically changed by this experience that I'd had where I walk in not knowing God. I walk out having met him. 
and it was like the lights came on. I'd never saw in my life. It was like I was dead and just I could see and I was alive. And Mrs. Waltz gave me, hear me, the greatest assignment of my high school, of, of all my educational career. She gave me the assignment of being the speaker for the baccalaureate service. Anybody know what a baccalaureate service is? It's like a church service. The graduating class comes together with all their parents and they try to get like 14 students to do something so at least there'll be 14 parents that show up. And the first time I ever spoke publicly for Jesus was because, because a 1.8 GPA, dope smoking, sleeping on her floor, sleeping off an acid trip that went bad on the floor of her office. When she saw Jesus in me, she trusted me to deliver Jesus to a graduating class. Why is she my favorite teacher? Because she went to Harvard. I don't know where she went. She probably went to like Bubba's Community College for Public Education. For all I knew, the woman took a calligraphy class and made her own diploma. But she cared about me. Come on. She challenged me. She believed in me and she trusted me. We, we find something like this in the Bible where there's this guy named John Mark. He's a young student. He writes later on the, the gospel of Mark. So you know that it's a good story in the end. But when Paul and, and um, Barnabas go on their first missionary journey, they kind of hit the first hard spot where it's man, it's, you know, people are trying to kill us. Like, I just came to talk about Jesus. I was honored to be asked, but like people are throwing rocks at your head. And so I'm, I'm going home. I, I didn't sign up for this. Well, they come back. They make a successful all the way first journey. Paul makes three missionary journeys. It's time for the second missionary journey. So he goes to Barney and goes, hey, Barnabas, how about we do that again? Let's go check on everybody. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll find some new places to talk about Jesus. He goes, okay, I'll get John Mark. And Paul goes, well, why are you getting John Mark? Well, because, you know, he failed the first time, but if we're a teacher, it's our job to make him succeed, not allow him to fail. So we, I care about him. And Paul goes, listen, I don't have time for your nephew. It was his nephew, Barnabas' his nephew. I don't have time for family stuff. I don't, like, I am a preacher of the gospel. A little bit of Phariseeism still stuck in that guy's heart. How many guys know getting slaves out of Egypt is, is only half the equation. Getting Egypt out of slaves so they can be sons is really... And we see Paul in this moment where he's kind of like, no, I'm, I, he, he failed, so he's a failure. How many of us know that just because a student fails, teachers can't to proclaim they are failures, right? And parents can't either. And parents can't about teachers, and students can't about each other. We all have to believe in each other, yeah. right? So in this, in this dynamic, it's time to go, and Paul goes and does his thing. He takes Silas and picks up Timothy, and Barnabas takes his nephew Mark, and you say, well, that seems like a division. It, understand this. Barnabas, every teacher needs a Barnabas in them, right? Because every John Mark needs someone to believe in them after they failed. Your students, teacher, hear me. Your students are not a collection of their behaviors. And if they don't know how to win, you need to teach them how to win. If they don't know how to live... I'm asking you to help them to teach them how to live. Yes, they have parents. Yes, they have a church. Yes, they have friends. Yes, they have social, social, social media. Yes, they have smartphones. But I have never met a kid that wouldn't rather get information from someone they knew cared about them than some stranger on Facebook. Facebook, is that a thing anymore? Are people still on Facebook? Students, what's the new app that your eyes are on? Bread? You're on bread? Thread. Thread. I'll make sure to get on there soon so all you guys will get off and find the next thing, you know. <laughs> oh, my pastor's here. No longer cool, you know. You said, what? You kiss your mama with that mouth, you know. <laughs> I love this though. The kid has failed and he's going to be a failure, except for one teacher. 
who walked him to success. I love that. I, I have one of those in my life. Mr. Milkovich was, I, I think, seventh or eighth grade. I don't remember. You were, you were around. Did you go to Highlands Junior High, Todd? You were, we graduated from Lakeland together. Did you skip junior high because you're so smart? Oh, that's what it was, yeah. <laughs> seventh grade, best three years of my life. Um, I had a teacher named Mr. Milkovich. His first name was Mr. I don't, I don't know. But here's what happened, guys. Earlier on in my educational career, this probably you know, has something to do with this, but it, it, it turned out great in the end. But I had a lot of different, I think it was second grade teachers. I remember Mrs. Carter. Mrs. Carter was, she was a kind elderly woman, I think made out of beef jerky of some sort. Uh, and I went into her class and I didn't relate to her. I couldn't relate to her because she had been dead for four years and no one told her. Um, <laughs> So I, <laughs> I've been through therapy. It didn't help. Just pray for me. So I remember the next lady, her name was Mrs. Master Angel. I remember that because, dang, that's a name. <laughs> Angel? No, Master Angel. But, you know, she got uh, pregnant or something. And so a third teacher came in. I don't recall her name. And then we moved. We moved uh, to another school. So that was by fourth second grade teacher. And then we moved to another school. And I believe, I, I believe, and mom will correct me, I think I had five uh, second grade teachers. Well, during second grade, one of the things they teach you is division. Well, I, I didn't get it. Why? Because I was the new kid. And I moved from here and I did this and I didn't go to school and I'm moving and the, the weeks that I was gone and the picking I'm carrying. But how many of us know that the, the last thing you want to do when you're a new person surrounded by people that may or may not become your friends is tell them what you can't do that they all can. So I hit it. That was second grade. Guess what I did in third grade? I hit it. Fourth grade. Fifth grade. I don't have to divide long numbers. I can, I can reverse engineer my times tables. I, I can think it out, but I can't, I can't do the math. If there was two numbers down here and more than two numbers up here, I couldn't do it. I didn't know how. I hadn't been taught. Sixth grade. Don't know how to do it. So math, you know, I'm getting grades. I'm doing tests. I'm passing the things. Division, I got nothing. Zeros on every test. Zeros. Well, unless I was sitting next to the smart girl. Then I had all the right answers, but I, I couldn't show any of my work, so I got like half credit or whatever. Seventh grade, and maybe even eighth grade, I don't recall, Mr. Milkovich was sitting at his desk. We're all taking a test. I turned mine in because I was sitting next to a smart girl who happened to be fast with math, and I turned it in. Again, I, I'm, I'm lying. I'm hiding. It's just mortifying. I'm humiliated. I, I mean, there's a girl in this class I like. There's a bully in this class that is looking for information to, to bully me more. I mean, that, that is junior high school, by the way. It's, I, I, no one see me. Just, I just want to be invisible. And Mr. Milkovich said, uh, Wiglard? No one can pronounce Wiegand. Yes, sir. <laughs> Come here for a second. So I walked up to the desk and I sat down, believing I'd been caught for something. And there were many things, I'm sure, that day that he could have busted me for. And he leans in. How many guys know there's nothing creepier than Hannibal Lecter unless he's whispering? <laughs> Come here. Okay. He said, you don't know how to do this, do you? Do what? You don't know how to divide whole numbers. Um, no. He said, um, how far away from the school do you live? I'm like, where's this going? I said, about six miles. He said, can you walk six miles? Uh, why? <laughs> he said, 
as soon as the bell rings, come to my class. I'll kick everybody out, just me and you, on a chalkboard together. And I think five to ten minutes, I can teach you to do this, and you'll be able to do it for the rest of your life. And I won't tell anybody. And I won't tell anybody. It's a deal. He said, now, if you miss the bus, you're walking home. I said, well, you know, if I miss the bus, I'm walking home. So he got in there. He said, it was five to 15 minutes. In five to 15 minutes, you'll have this. I got it in five minutes, and I could have caught the bus, but here's what happened. I got it. Give me another problem. Give me another problem. Give me another, give me another one. Make, make a really big one. And I got stuck a couple times. Just do this. And I, okay, okay, give me another one. Give me another. I was there for like 15 minutes, became like a half an hour. The Mr. Milkovich taught me how to divide whole numbers after school. And to this day, because of that man, I use a calculator like everybody else. (laughs) But hear me, the lesson wasn't just long division. What I learned that day was I wasn't stupid. And if I turned to a teacher for help, I could be taught what I didn't know. Does this make sense? You sharpen your students more when you love them than anything else you'll ever do for them. I, and I, I got to hurry up, but just to the students for a second. Your, your iron that you bring is a desire to grow. It's, it's, it's challenging your teachers to do uh, not just their job, but an excellent job for you. Parents hear me, students hear me. Um, no one ever got into teaching because they thought, I, I want to live really well. I want to have plenty of free time. I like to be really wealthy, and I hope to be famous. If they thought that, then they needed to go back to school. The, the call, and I, and I don't use that phrase lightly, the call to, to educate children, to educate students, I believe is as sacred as the call to ministry, as the call to the military, as the, as the call to law enforcement work. If you're going it because it sounds fun, you will realize quickly that it's not. It's a calling. You are called to those students. Whether they learn or not, your assignment is to educate them. Whether they get it or not, whether the parents love you or not, whether the, the politics around it or not, or the principles around it or not, or the administration around it, your, your assignment, regardless of your environment, is to educate them. And sometimes you've got to fight everybody and everything to get one chance to even try. It's a calling. So let me just say this. The, the teachers that you have in your life right now, their success is predicated upon your success. They don't win unless you win. It's not worth it unless you make it worth it. And so when you ask teachers, like, what was your favorite student? Isn't it interesting that the list doesn't change? The same things a student said that they loved about their teacher, the teachers say about their students. Those students really cared about smoothbore muskets in 1862. Those students really cared about their education. Their parents When they had parent-teacher conferences, they did something no other parent did. They showed up. Who said that? You knew that ahead of time, didn't you? They showed up. And instead of saying, I'm here to just lay into you because you voted for Trump or you voted for Biden or you voted for the mass or you voted against, you know, inoculate. Shut up. Show up and listen and partner together to educate the kids because they're not in it for the politics, not in it for the money. They're not in it for the fame. They're in it for them. And so the same thing that the, that the parents or the, the, the teachers would say, uh, I'm sorry, the students would say, my favorite teacher was, the teachers will say, my favorite student actually showed up. They challenged me. I remember I went to Bob Bookta, my history teacher, and I said, I, I, get, I get this, but I don't know the difference between a panzer and a tiger and, and tigger. I, I, don't, I don't know. 
can you show me this? I'll do one better. He made models years ago. He had them at home. He set up two pieces of four by eight sheets of plywood, put like hex paper on top of us. Remember this? And we went and we played the battles. I did the battle of the bulge. I got to be a Nazi one lunchtime. I know that's not cool, but I'm just saying. I got to be the allies the next time. I got to fight the war on both sides. I know where the lines were. I know who the generals were. I know what the, what the response was of the commanding general that, that told the, the, the Nazi German guy, you know, his, his unconditional terms of surrender and his answer. Anybody know what his answer was? Nuts. Nuts. <laughs> I know why he did it. Why? Because Bob booked a trick me into learning that stuff. And I wanted to know it. I, I took his class three times. The third time, he passed me. True story. So my senior year, I said, I want to join your class. He said, you can't join my class. Jim, you've passed. You took it twice, and you could have passed the test. You just liked the class. I'm like, it's like watching History Channel before there was one. I like being around you. I, I like what you're doing. He said, then why don't you become my student aide? That means I, I got to sit there and do it. Remember mimeographs? And you licked your finger, and you got high. Remember that? Okay. But isn't that interesting that the same thing the same thing that made them our favorite teachers makes teachers say that also is my favorite thing about my students. I, I, I don't have time to get into some other stuff I'd like to get into, but I, I do want to say this. What, what happens if this breaks down? This is what happens. You ready? No one really cares. No one is challenged. No one believes. And no one trusts. And can I also say this? I think one of the greatest tests we're going to have as parents, as students, and as teachers in the next nine months we are in great danger of that being the reality of the educational environments of our nation. Because everybody wants to make this a Petri dish for whatever bacterium they want to put in to whatever outcome. We own the schools. And so, yes, the evangelicals want the schools. And yes, whatever the opposite of that is, want the schools. And yes, people of goodwill and people of bad will all want the schools. Why? Because if I can gain a child, I'll have a customer for the rest of my life. If I can gain a child, I'll have a, I'll have a vote for the rest of my life. If I can gain a child, I have a soul for the rest of my life. You hear what I'm saying? Guys, I just understand this. The goal of education is not to win over. It's to educate. And so I, I would call you to say this. If we get too lost in other things, that will be the reality of our classrooms. That'll be the reality of, of our teachers. That'll be the reality of our students. That'll be the reality of our families. That is an inexcusable outcome. Let me challenge you. That's an inexcusable outcome. Let me believe in you. I think we can do a lot better than that. Who are you talking to? Parents, teachers, students, and everybody else. We can do a lot better than that. We should, we should show up and we should blow up, but not in some way that causes division. If you have a point, how many of you guys know that if you're right in an argument, you don't need to yell? You're right. Piano girl, join me if you would, please. If you think that's sexist, it's, it's not. She's my friend. And she calls me preacher boy. I, that's not true, but it's just. <laughs> so what's our common ground, guys? Is our common ground the students? Maybe. Is our common ground the parents? Maybe. Is our common ground the teachers? Sort of. What's our common ground? Can, can I suggest to you that we make God our common ground? Why? Because Jesus really cares. He really does. He cares. He cares about the four-year-old that's terrified walking into Mrs. Malero's kindergarten class like my four-year-old. We lied and said he was five, but J.D. walked in. He was five, but he was this big, so everybody knew, right? He's, he walks into her class. We, we, we've got we to let Jesus care about that kid through the teacher, through the parents, right? 
It's, what if Jesus was, the, was what brought us together? What if his rules about human interaction were the governing source for our disagreements, not just our agreements? What, what if kindness? What if love? What if care? What if light and salt became the things we measured? We curse the darkness, I, and I get that. But can I suggest to you, maybe it'd be better if we just lit a candle at home, in the classroom, and in our students. Jesus really challenges. Ugh. Everything that's been hard for me to do was, was, was something Jesus told me to do. Anybody else? If your enemy strikes you on one cheek, offer him off or the other. It's like, I'll give him some cheeks to hit. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't Jesus. Okay, um... Why is that? Well, because two insane people arguing just perpetuates insanity. But if one person can take a blow and not flinch because they're still right, maybe that gets the attention of others. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe Mandela was wrong. Maybe Martin Luther King was wrong. Maybe Gandhi was wrong. Or maybe they caught on to something Jesus was saying a long time ago. If you want to change the world, be the change in the world you want to see. Jesus really believes I mean, what is he entrusted to you? <laughs> you know, everything. And he really trusts that we can do this well. And so we should. We should. We should do this really well. We should care more than just to be passionate about it. We should care enough to engage. I'm calling on every single parent that has a student in school to show up to every single parent-teacher conference in the next nine months. And when you get there, if there's a concern, you should, you should address it. But I would hope that you would just go with a batch of cookies and say, thanks for teaching my kid. Thanks for being an adult in his life. Every kid needs seven caring adults in their lives. And by the way, if that person is trying to indoctrinate your child, then, then I think you should bring something that helps them understand that that's not the way your family works. And maybe, maybe we can even educate some educators. I, I've been educated by educators since I've left school. Maybe, maybe instead of arguing and bickering and creating a war zone, what if, what if we decided to plant some seeds in those fields? I think we see something better. Lyndon, at this time, I just want to turn this back over to Pastor Jason and Pontotoc, you know, and in Grand Blank. Just God bless you. Everybody say goodbye, guys. Bye. Have fun. We love you. And uh, we'll live long and prosper. But this is the way I'd like to end our service here today if we can. Um, and if this is too much for you, I understand. I, I never want people, I want you to feel challenged. I never want you to feel manipulated or, or overly uh, asked of. So, this is what I had in mind today. I would love it for two reasons. I would love it, not, not at this moment, but I'll, I'll tell you when it'll be clear and you'll know what you're doing or what you choose not to do, be up to you. But our educators, this can be a public school, private school, charter school, homeschool. You can be the lunch lady. You can be the bus driver. You can be the groundskeeper. You can even be the vice principal. We'd like an opportunity to do two things. One is to pray for you because you've got a really tough job and you've got nine months starting like next week. Um, the other, we want to honor you. The second thing, we, we want to pray for you because we, in moments, Pat, how many mission trips we've been on now, you and I? Half a dozen or something through the years? We do something before we send people out on mission trips. We, we get them on the platform and we, which we won't be doing today, but we put our hands on them. We pray for them. Why is that? Because when you've drank the amoeba in the Haitian water that gives you the ha-has, it's nice to remember that there was a, the touch of that hand somehow lingers long after that hand is removed. 
the words of those prayers somehow linger long after the prayer has ended. We'd like a chance just to pray for you because we know there's hard moments ahead for all of us. I, all I know about the future, guys, you know, I've, I've learned not to look at the past to determine what I expect of tomorrow. I know the cr- contractions seem to be closer together and more intense, which tells me they're shifting and maybe even some dramatic events that are in front of us. That's what Scripture says. That's what we're all experiencing. So I want to pray for educators. Second thing, though, is, is when they're up here, I would like to call for every student to come and get around those educators. Because there's going to be seasons in the school year where it feels like you're praying for them. P-R-E-Y. And I want them to have a moment they remember where you prayed for them. P-R-A-Y. And the last thing is once that kind of nucleus is gathered, I'd like to ask for the parents of our students to get around both their teachers and their students. And we're going to ask God to bless the next nine months in our kids' lives. Are you with me? Do you feel it? Okay. So if you could all stand up, that might make it easier for our first batch of people we're going to call for to come stand in this area. And, and we're going to honor you as you come. And again, you don't have to, but remember, I know who you are, and I'll call you out publicly. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Could we, as a congregation, remind our educators how valuable they are to us as a church, as a community? We're so grateful for you. Can we do that right now as they come? Would you come, please? Come on. I see some moving. Come on, David. Homeschool, public school, charter school. I know you hate this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, the look on your face. Uh, yes, another a latecomer, good. Anybody else? Like, ah, oh, just do it. Come on down, good. I'm sorry, Shane, I said educator, not phys ed teacher. No, it's just a joke. Just, it's just a joke. Just a joke. <laughs> I'm going to go way back here because he can jump at least that far. Second thing, if you're a student in a public school, a charter school, a home school, whether or not your teacher is here, would you come and represent their students at this time? Step out from where you are and come get around them at this altar this morning. Come on, young people. Come on. Come on. Never want them to forget this. Never want them to forget this. I I can't help but ask, why are kids so tall nowadays? I'm grateful for Kim Sivier. He kind of balances out for the rest of us old people here. Right. Last thing. And guys, just move your way around here if you would. Just... Make them a room so they can come around the other side. And if we run out of room, we'll do the best we can, okay? Parents, if your student is up here or is represented in our elementary, I'd love for you to be a part of this. We're just going to ask heaven to come on this process, on these people. Today, it's not like there aren't politics, but how many of you guys know that this is not the place for politics? It's not like there's not issues, but this is not the place to, to decide those things. It's a place to bless it's a place to, to set boundaries of, of spiritual things. It's to call on not, you know, Mrs. Master Angel, but like the Master Angels, right, to, to come into our classrooms and our kids. So if you'll come at this time and gather around your students, gather around their teachers. Thank you, guys. Go blue. I'm sorry, I couldn't help. I just saw it. Right on. Teachers, I hope, I hope you know how much you're valued. Mrs. Malaria, you're a part of our family. You ask J.D., you know, J.D.'s like nine foot four now, and he, 
He's uh, married, and you were his kindergarten teacher. You were the first person who had the name Mrs. in front of him. It wasn't a family member or like a family friend. Uh, I remember her, his name was James because it was like the birth, and you said James, and you found out like we couldn't find his seat. And this is the woman that said, oh, sweetie, no, I, that's your birth name. What do, what do you want to be called? And he said, J.D., and she wrote J.D. Like he had his own special placard, J.D. Remember that at all? Do you, I, I'll never forget that. And I remember watching the school kind of go through its growing pains. It was the very first year of, of that school and, you know, school board things and people kind of out of balance or whatever. But I, I remember just wanting to make sure she understood that it, this is not the school. You are the school to our family. And as far as we're concerned, the school is doing an awesome job. And now my grandson, you're going to be his kindergarten teacher. I don't know how she did it because she's only 29 years old. But somehow she hasn't aged. Church, extend your hands this way. Let's pray. Father, it's a public education. It's a, it's a thing. It's, a, it's relatively new. <laughs> so maybe we're not so good at it in, in social terms. We expect too much from each other, whatever. First things first, God, forgive us. Forgive us for blaming anyone for, for things. Forgive us for pointing fingers instead of lending hands. Forgive us for speaking curses rather than praying blessings. God, that's, that's on us. So forgive us for that. Second, we pray. Come on, students, let me hear you pray. We pray over these educators in Jesus' name that this would be the greatest year, that they, they would, the, the friction, the tension, the, the grinding of one against the other would not, would not dull them, would not wear them out, but would sharpen them to have the greatest year of their life. We pray for students that they will never forget. Parents that bless them with cookies and brownies, and when that gets to be too much, apples and grapes and, and just blessings. Sweet words, God, kindness. Bless, bless these teachers, God. May they understand, again, that the value of what they bring is just, they are such an honored part of this community, God. Let them love well. Let, let them love our kids and someday love our grandkids and someday love our great-grandkids, God. Thank you for teachers. We bless every teacher in this area, the Tri-County area now, in Jesus' name. They're teaching a kid how to throw a ball. They're teaching a kid how, how to divide long numbers. They're all teaching kids that they're not worthless and they're not stupid. They're so valuable. We'll never forget what they taught us. Bless them, God, now. For every student, come on, parents and teachers, let me hear you pray. For every student that's getting ready to start, we pray in Jesus' name that you would surround them with good friends. They'd come home to a solid family. They'd be healthy in their body, their soul, and their spirit. Protect them from the world around them that's invading from the darkest of shadows, God. May this, may this generation be like the generation that came behind Moses, the Joshua generation that went where his predecessor only dreamed of. God, let this generation go where their teachers only dreamed of. May, may their ceiling become the floor on which the next generation can stand upon to move forward, God, to become educators and police officers and nurses and doctors and missionaries and pastors and entrepreneurs and landscapers and, and you know, guys that make awesome pizzas and girls that do the, do the best things that they can do. Just I pray in the name of Jesus for the greatest generation that this nation has ever known to rise up through the education, through the families, through the churches, God. And lastly, God, we pray for the parents. We love nothing greater than our children, so nothing scares us more than their harm, and nothing blesses us more than their blessing. Father, I pray that you would give parents this year homes that their, their children can really be stable in, that they would, they would come to school fed, on time, clean, rested. May we not allow devices and divisive people to raise this generation. May we take responsibility, God, before you, 
for our children. You gave them to us to steward for a season. Let us do well in that season for you. Now, God, we look at the 2023-24 school year. We got Christmas break coming and Easter break coming and spring break coming and exams and midterms and count days and PTA meetings and parent-teacher conferences. And God, before we take one step into that, we just stop here and we dedicate as a parent, as a student, and as a teacher the next nine months. Father, have it all. Maybe the greatest year of our lives because you really care, (laughs) because you really challenge, because you really believe in us and you really trust us to do this. Forever tired that we stop and and always return back to that as our home, our our base, our, our security in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. So... Teachers, if you'll stay, everybody else, head back to your seats. But we have gifts and gift cards and all the stuff teachers need, wipes and granola bars and et cetera and PM. So that's all waiting for you. So teachers, whenever you're ready, head over this way, and we're going to bless you. In the meantime, God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Go in the peace of God, and uh, we'll see you again soon.